Hello, I'm Kerry Summers, another co-founder of The Working Parent Company. In today's episode, I'll be talking to David Willens. David is a dad to two boys, CMO at data asset management company Animus, and the founder of Being Dads. David set up Being Dads six years ago when one day he caught himself being an angry dad. This set him off on what he called an adventure, to work out how to be a great dad, and particularly a patient one. Being Dad is a website and weekly blog sharing all the stories and insights he is discovering. Today we explore why being a good parent makes you a better employee and actually a better person all round. What employees gain from hiring a working parent and how employers can support working fathers. I hope you enjoy. Hi David and it's really wonderful to have you here on the Working Parent Podcast. Hi Kerry, really good to be here. I've been reading your blog. I've really enjoyed your blog over, I've been reading it for about a year now, um, and I really enjoy it. So it's very exciting to have you here. I'm going to start with how it all began with being dads. It was 2014. You were working as a consultant. You had a big work meeting that morning, a train that couldn't be missed, and a three and a five-year-old dawdling. So far, so normal. (laughs) You got frustrated and angry and you noticed that you got frustrated and angry and you didn't like it. And from that moment, Being Dads was born with a mission to understand and live out what it means to be a great dad. Can you tell me more about that moment of self-awareness? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it is, it is a classic one, isn't it? The school run uh, and the big work thing uh, <laughs> that was now so important. I've got no idea what it was. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just caught myself after the moment. So... You know, we needed to get out and I was saying to the kids, come on, come on, come on, come on, uh, like a broken record um, and ended up manhandling them into their kind of coats and putting their shoes on and physically putting them outside the front door. Um, and they zoomed off happily on their scooters, thank goodness. Uh, but I, I kind of caught myself sort of stomping down the road after them, seething, carrying their bags, my bag. Um and just realised that in that moment I'd, I'd lost control. Like I, I was I was just right you know let's sort this out put these on put these on off we go um and it scared me because I was you know if I can lose control in that sort of situation uh, and I was angry you know it can happen again and if it happens again what where could that lead um never hit my kids or anything like that um no but it's just know, the you, anger and frustration and you didn't want to be that sort of dad yeah exactly and yeah. You, know, you know what it's like uh they they can um I don't like saying they can wind you up because that implies that it's a deliberate a malicious act on their part mm-hmm. but they, they there is a thing with your own children can take you to a state of anger and impatience and frustration that that no one else in life can uh, mm-hmm. um so yeah so that so that happened and then so and i was you know what am i going to do about this um and a lot of my jobs asking questions so i was like okay if i don't want to be that guy what kind of dad do i want to be and i couldn't answer that question so I talked to my dad, uh, but, you know, growing up in a different time, different part of the country, um, slightly different value set. So there were some things I could take, but I still had a lot of questions. Um, so I started speaking to other dads that I knew that I thought were good dads. Um, and it, the, being dads then sort of snowballed from there. You know, they said, mm-hmm. oh, are you going to do anything with this conversation? Because I was taking notes. And I was like, oh, I should probably publish it, I guess. Um Mm-hmm. So I started doing that and then started writing and researching and yeah, it's, it's just grown. So now I run workshops with companies, um, have a, a course around patients. Uh, that, that's been many years <laughs> in, in the self-experimentation kind of lab, as it were. Um, 
so yeah now it's that uh, yeah i don't know what to call it is it's a website yes it's a blog yes it's a newsletter yes there's there's like i guess you'd call it training stuff around um but it, it still is a part-time thing for me so i do it one day a week right and it's a safe space to go and and talk about being a dad and be around other dads and hear what other dads are thinking and actually in, in our culture that is rare compared to what's available for mothers so it's a it's a really wonderful resource in that respect um i noticed on the weekend um with big drum roll that you uh you attempted to answer the question that you uh tried to that you asked yourself six years ago which was what does it mean to be a great a great dad um, you said in your blog uh, on the weekend, this is a question you've been considering, exploring and failing to answer, but finally you think you're getting to the shape of it. So I wanted if you could share what is the shape that you're seeing? What is it that makes a great dad in your opinion and based on your research and your own personal experience? Yeah, now you put me on the spot. I'm kind of <laughs> doubting that I've actually done anything that useful. Uh, <laughs> no, I'll have a go. Um, uh, yeah so so you can think about it when you try and strip everything away effectively parenting is about only exists because there's a child and parenting in terms of actually being there you know only exists if the relationship's there right so therefore the the strength of your parenting you know what kind of father are you how good are you um is dependent on the strength of the relationship with the child um so then you can start to think well what does it mean to have a strong relationship um and then you, you start to unpack that and it's like well time is the foundation of any good relationship um but, you know as we all know as we've sort of i don't know lost lost touch with good friends from from our childhood you know mm -hmm. it's because we've not put the time in uh, no other factor other than that so so then okay time so what then then you break that down further into well okay so there's a volume of time question but that's not you know the single answer and there's a so quantity but there's also the quality question how do i make the time that i spend with my children or child um the best kind of quality it can be and then you, know, you can just kind of unpick from there and there's so much in both of those streams um of thought of questions raised things to answer um you know for example being patient right so the quality of time with your children increases as it were, uh, if you're not impatient, angry and frustrated. If you are, then your child's experience of the time they spend with you is not going to be very good. And all they're gonna learn is that, ah, oh, I, I love my dad because, well, most people love their fathers, um, but he's a bit angry and a bit, and a bit, I don't wanna catch him on that kind of day. And, and, and then there's all these caveats that around the relationship from the child's perspective. So even if, you know, eventually the father does get a grip on these things and, and, and change them. There's still all that kind of baggage left over. Um, so, yeah, so then, so, so for me now, it's kind of, like I said, it's sort of, I'm starting to feel the shape, you know, of it like with my eyes closed um, and, and seeing these sort of two paths that mm -hmm. uh, my work could kind of further explore. Yeah, it's um, from that blog and from what you've just said to me, I, I described it as, it's about relationships and quantity is good, but quality trumps quantity. And it's a question that um, when we're working with dads and also we do um, seminars on various topics and to do with uh, fathers. And the question that's always asked is 
how much time, what's a good amount of time, you know, what, what does the research say about how much time I spend without, with my children? And it, it's just an impossible question to answer. And, and, and it's because it's, you could spend all the time in the world with your children, but if it's, if it's the, the time that you've just been describing, the frustrated, I'm doing my own thing, you're getting in my way kind of time, because we're in parallel worlds sitting next to each other on the sofa, for example, that's not really time. So I like this idea of, um, you know, time is good, but quality trumps that every time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and the only bit of research I've been able to find, and doesn't mean it's not out there, it's just I've not stumbled across it, um, connected with that question of uh, put a number on it, as it were, is um, there was some research done around attachment theory and how you create a strong attachment with your child. Uh, and the, the research that I read said that it was basically you need to show up really well really present like being being really present mm-hmm. about 50 percent of the time mm-hmm. i mean even that's kind of a bit a bit of a really broad guideline because mm-hmm. you know, how one person shows up and their definition of being present and connected with their child versus being less so will be very different mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. so um but yeah it's it, it, we all humans like to kind of we, we look for these simple answers that just tell me what to do just tell me that I need to I don't know get up at five and, and do this for two hours and therefore everything will work out all right you know but life's not like that unfortunately. Yeah. I think that um, if if you are getting it right in terms of quality and quantity you'll see that in the relationship that's really the measure um, whether you're seeing trust and enjoyment um, with your children and connection and understanding then you know you're 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 getting that right. Yeah, exactly. But it's a really long term game, isn't it? And we're not yes. really well set up to um, deal with that in a way because you know mm-hmm. for a couple of years your relationship with your child might be quite fraught for whatever reason. Um, but you know, it's it's mm-hmm. I guess as adults now we know looking back, it's like particularly parents that actually we we regard our parents we, it, from it from a very different perspective now mm-hmm. and that's I don't know it feels like the only way you could really figure out if you've done it well is when the kids are grown you know mm-hmm. are they well adjusted do they come back to you do they give you a ring send you a message whatever um unfortunately though it's a bit too late to do anything about it if you screwed it up yeah but it's nice to have that as the the long-term goal because so often in parenting you're in the moment whether it's in potty training or teenagers slamming doors and it's really hard to see beyond in fact we had another podcast guest who whose main piece of advice was to talk to people who who have parents who have older children and they will always put in perspective where you are now um, and you'll realize that it wasn't as enormous a deal as you as you thought it would be. But it, it, there are all these different stages of parenting. And when you're in the middle of one, you can't see the wood for the trees. But if you've got the big picture, what I want is a child that I respect, that shows respect for me, that cares enough about me, that they want to call me, you know, once a week or, or come over for dinner once a week when they're grown ups, you know, and, and that they are adjusted and self-sufficient and kind, you know terrific <laughs> yeah that's such good advice speak to the older parents and I think that's and that's one of those things that work could either help facilitate or is certainly something that as parents we could start to think about something that we could get from work you know um because it's funny the particularly with dads 
there does seem to be still quite a, a, a dividing dividing line between work and home and actually you know talking about kids and stuff it might happen in a what do you do at the weekend sort of manner um but actually going oh, I'm really struggling with this thing with you know my son my daughter um I know you've got kids who are a couple of years old or like did you have anything similar like men don't raise those kind of things very um naturally at work I've found yeah I I I would echo that completely because we do seminars and uh you know you'll have a hundred people in the room men do show up in equal numbers to those events but they're rarely the ones that put their hands up they're rarely the ones that want to talk to the person next to them and we also do um coaching for working fathers so we'll have groups of between six and ten fathers and recruitment for that is really difficult once they're in once they've they've agreed to it whether that's because someone's you know put their hand behind their back and it's being sponsored by somebody very senior and everybody has to you know do it once they start it's it's extraordinary what it opens up but it but it's that taking that first initial step and opening up and um, that they that I would agree with you. I see that as a real barrier in the, in the beginning, anyway. Yeah, I think you know. I, I don't know what that is. I think I mean, there's a generational thing, definitely. I've I've noticed um, younger dads are much more uh, open to talking about fatherhood, to sharing their experiences um, than older dads. So there's definitely a generational factor in there. Um, and I think in the workplace, there is still you know as much as we 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 talk about it changing we talk about trying to change it there is still a sense of um you know man at work goes to work does his work really well uh, and then comes back home mm -hmm. you know maybe i haven't seen any research around um how covid lockdowns changing all that um as we <laughs> increasingly find ourselves living at work um you know there does seem to be this kind of uh, archetype this this story inside us men that sort of makes it hard to open up about emotional things about insecurities vulnerabilities which parenting does you know bring into sharp focus mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In volumes absolutely i'm going to come back to the working parents soon but i just want to ask you one more general question about parenting before i do that um as i said i've been reading your blog and what I really appreciate most is the balance in the narrative between the difficulties of being a working parent or any kind of parent actually and the potential for joy and personal and professional growth that being a parent can also lead to. So parenting can um, break you from time to time but it can also make you is, is how you put it. So how does being a parent make you a better person? Because you do say that you, you really believe that being a good parent makes you a better person overall. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really do. And it's, it's, it is one of the deeply frustrating things that I find about um, things about parenting that are out there. Uh, they're either about the struggle and the hardships and the frustration. Mm, the sad um, story. Yeah. Or they're just really kind of, um, I don't quite know how to describe this without coming across as rude and cruel, but um, <laughs> you know, like kitschy, feel good, classic, you know, well shot, loving moments of, of parents bonding, etc. Mm -hmm. You know, the kind of the Disney's slightly Disneyfication of it. Um, and there's very little talk of more from a selfish angle, like what do you get out of it? Uh, and I know that that's. Um, you know, people might say that that's that's not what it's about. That's you know, bringing that kind of view to this, 
is not that helpful but I think it really is because um it helps you see it in a different light and then when you see things in different lights you then understand them better and you can see routes forward and ways to um do things differently or it can give you a boost to actually you know do go that step further so for example right you parenting's relentless okay you know you get up in the morning whenever your kids wake you up or if you're if they're a bit older you have to get them up uh, <laughs> and then it goes on till like you know the end of the day so what's that six till seven eight nine um mm-hmm. that's a long day right and all throughout that day excluding the work stuff you're interacting with people and getting who are interacting with people and you're you're getting such fast feedback about how you're behaving you know if you if you strip all the emotion and all that kind of stuff out of it, it really is like a rapid feedback loop going on of they've done this i've responded in an unhelpful way um and now we're in this situation okay so they're a child i'm taking responsibility for this this situation therefore next time i'm going to do it like this or i'm going to try to okay. do it like this um and it's you know it's in a way parenting allows you to practice all sorts of amazing skills that are really helpful in life in general um and particularly for dads who you know men we we top the charts in uh you know being in prison committing violent crime being addicted being depressed committing suicide right we we've got all those things like sewn up Mm -hmm. one unfortunately um and when you look at the stuff in that space, what, what it all seems to kind of, one of the common threads going through it all um, is this idea of not being able to understand emotions and to talk to other people about how we're feeling, what's difficult, what's hard, how we could do things differently. Um, so and parenting forces you to confront that because it is really hard and you do have to sit down with your kids and apologize and talk about how you're feeling and mm-hmm. how their behavior makes you feel and react and how can we work together to do things differently it forces you to talk to your partner about this stuff um well it doesn't actually force you if you look at <laughs> men of yesteryear um it has the it presents that opportunity for you yep. and i think that's what it it does mm-hmm. and as men get more involved in parenting another turn of phrase which frustrates me because you're a parent full stop you're either doing it properly or you're absenting yourself um you, you know if you if you do get involved and if you do do it properly then then you have this kind of this world of opportunities to practice your creativity to find moments of kind of uh, real emotional kind of connection to understand to practice empathy to mm-hmm. um you know to to um to do things that you've always found hard like confront other people out there in the world about things that they're doing that, that's not right you know the school the way the teachers are, are dealing with mm-hmm. this situation um or other parents and having those hard conversations um you know there are so many skills if we're to put it in a work context that parenting allows you to practice really fast and a lot that to not look at it through that lens feels mm-hmm. um i don't know just a bit old-fashioned and not very sophisticated mm-hmm. There is, um, and this, this, forgive me if this sounds kitsch now <laughs> and disnified, but um, there, there is a view that, you know, you get the child that you need for you to develop the skills that you need. Um, so if, if patience is what is required or if assertiveness is required or being able to listen better or apologise more, um, you learn those skills because, you know, you, you've got a weakness in that area and, and they force you to step up. I mean, if, if you're putting in the effort 
does that you roll yeah, your eyes really, yeah literally <laughs> because um you know it just comes back to like the feedback thing right so you mm-hmm. your behavior will uh you know creates reactions in the world that that then affect the reality through which you know into which you then walk the next kind of minute two minutes three minutes year month whatever in the future um so having that kind of fast feedback loop around that and, and realizing that god i don't know god yeah i do show up and i'm pretty moody um most of the time and as a result i don't get good interactions you know if that happens repeatedly in life then the, the you know the common factor in it's probably you and therefore you know if it happens with your kids and these 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 these, these little beings that you love more than anything else then um you're going to change it hopefully mm. you know i think that's and actually that's the other thing around this parenting feedback loop helps you be a better person is it's all kind of powered by love ultimately right uh, and that's a really powerful force so yeah. if you've got this opportunity to use something that you know, human beings have been writing about and talking about as being one of the most powerful forces in in the world for thousands of years. So if you're going to, you could use that to become a better person, then why not? It's a it's a motivator that beats all others. So whereas other things may not have worked when you were trying to, you know, with this self-awareness or self-development, you've hit a wall when you've got, you know, a child that you're looking after and that you love so deeply, you're prepared to do things that, that are hard, harder than you've been, and things that you've not been prepared to sort of uh, lean into before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's the um, Victor Frankl quote? Um, it, it, yeah, a man with, a, with, with the right why can survive anyhow, or something like that. You know, he's the guy, who, um, mm. psychotherapist who survived a couple, you know, concentration camps. Mm-hmm. wrote about his experiences and a phenomenal phenomenal reads um, i know exactly what yeah. you're talking about we'll put it we'll put that in the show notes because it's an incredible incredible read yeah um so just going back to now to uh, working dads uh and and this theme around being better as a result of being a parent it might sound counterintuitive that a good and committed parent makes a better employee because they might be perceived as less committed if they're so committed to their family they're not giving everything that the organization wants from them. Um, so that being a better parent makes you a better employee is quite interesting. And I was wondering um, what you what do you think employers have to gain by hiring a parent? Oh, so much. Um, so I think what happens is there's the, um, there's the default to the older settings of, and again, that's probably changing massively now, of, you know, it's about the hours you put in we measure your commitment based on visibility Mm -hmm. you know which which is understandable because we're pretty simple creatures at the end of the day so if you see someone regularly you get this feeling that oh well they're always here they're always Mm -hmm. working they're obviously doing a good job you know we quite quickly make those assumptions um but obviously all the evidence shows that your productivity declines massively after um a certain point i can't remember 40 hours, 50 hours, 35, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a fairly standard work week type thing. Um, and you, you see the data in a day as well. So you've got this sort of default setting in the workplace, which is work harder, work longer. You've got the evidence which says, mm, you'll do your best work if you don't do that. Um, and we have this big 
productivity kind of plateau that work's been in for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've tried throwing more hours at it and we've got amazing technology nowadays that can do all sorts of things for us, yet we're still a bit shit on the productivity front. That's what's mm-hmm. going on. Um, mm-hmm. I think parents who come in to a workplace who are already there face, you know, it's kind of like with your kids, right? You, you've, you've just got to sort it out. There is no alternative. No one else is going to do it for you. Yeah, so what, once they've gone past the kind of being sleep deprived bit, mm-hmm. working parents, they'll, they'll take responsibility for getting things done and for finishing them at a particular time and for communicating really well in the team they're in because they've got a deadline that isn't, immo- isn't movable and actually is far more motivating than anything else they've ever had in their lives of, you know, let's, I want to get back and see my child uh, or switch off and spend time with my child. Um, so th- those sorts of skills of... Uh, focus, productivity, good teamwork and communication of taking responsibility. You know, it doesn't matter what field you're in. They're like the core foundation of just being good at your job, right? Um, then you've got all sorts of other little things that kind of you layer on. You know, there's creativity in terms of having to entertain children um, <laughs> of having to get them to do things that you want them to do that they don't you learn want some to persuasive skills yep exactly yeah the reframe learn how to reframe things so that it's mm-hmm. appealing to the other person you know that's that's a good sales skill um uh yeah learning how to negotiate with a um a toddler or someone who's sort of sub <laughs> five or six before their brain has developed um the prefrontal cortex stuff has developed fully or well, not fully but I hope you're not suggesting that there are people you work with who don't have a developed prefrontal cortex. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely not. No, they're all way smarter than me. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, though, we're all—it's emotions that might drive decisions. Like that's been been, been proven many a time. Um, Daniel Kahneman writes quite a lot about it, and you—it is the emotions that drive the decisions. And therefore, if you learn how to deal with people who are just a bundle of emotions i.e little toddlers and manage that well in a calm controlled way that's a really good skill for dealing with someone who's being a bit of an ass at work is angry or is being impatient or is Mm -hmm. frustrated you know learning how to diffuse the tension to deal with the problem and move things on in a way that that person feels good about is if you can learn that to do that well in life, that's quite a lot of uh, unpleasantness in life moved out of the way for you. Um, so I think there's, there, there, yeah, so there's all these sort of kind of peripheral, uh, peripheral dozen down a bit, but um, indirect skills like creativity, empathy, negotiation. Um, but the core of it is, 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 I guess, just being a mature grown up. If you do it well, you know, taking responsibility, um, being communicating clearly with those around you of, um, of you know making sure that things get done because they have to get done you know I remember when I, I had my son I was the only parent in the company um, and once I got through the sleep deprived bit everyone was like oh it's so good having you in the meetings and things because you just get it done you know as opposed to kind of having a nice chat and having a nice time and you know, we were pretty young back then, so it was like, yeah, it doesn't matter if we work till seven, go to the pub afterwards, whatever. Things stretched a bit, whereas uh, with kids, it was just right. What we're we doing? What we're we here for? Okay, okay. Does that help? No. Well, let's let's just part that. We'll, we'll come back to that point of the discussion if we've got time. But let's just stay focused on the objectives. I certainly agree with that. Um, the 
the, the managing by presenteeism and the, you know, the coat jacket on the back of the chair or presenteeism today is responding immediately to any chat that's going on or any emails that are being sent out. And that is seen as a sign of commitment and hard work. But I see that as somebody who's not in flow and somebody who's not able to concentrate, somebody who can't get stuff done efficiently. Because if you're constantly taking those interruptions, then your, your thought process is slowing down. It takes a long time to get back to where you were. So somebody that knows what they've got to get done, focuses on the priorities, isn't easily distracted, to me, seems like you know, a terrific employee to have. And, and yeah, you're describing a parent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Thank uh, you for that. Well, and just on that, on that task switching thing, so the, um, I've done some research around that, looking at presence uh, and how to you know, make the most of your time. It seems to be, from the stuff I've read, um, about 20 minute kind of lag or hangover, as it were, before you can, from when you switch mm-hmm. from one to another, you've got this kind of drag going on. Yeah. There's a particular study I know that says 26 minutes. So I might put that in the show notes. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, more, it's certainly more than 20. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. But you know, like if you're checking your phone when you're with your kids on a relatively regular basis, you check it three times an hour, you're effectively not being as present as you could be with them for that whole hour, just because you've, I don't know, looked at Twitter or your emails or whatever. Yeah. Um, wouldn't it be better just to, I don't know, batch it, do it later? Not missing yeah. out on anything. Yeah, be deliberate and batch it. That's that's yeah. terrific. <laughs> I feel like I want to make a sticker with that. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> um, continuing on with um, talking about working fathers, um, often the dads that we work with will say that although on paper things are looking up for them at work, um, they're, they can ask for flexibility, they can take shared parental leave in many cases, in reality, they say it's, it's much harder to do it. Um, just having it on paper doesn't mean it happens. The culture doesn't support it. So that's both within the organisation and, and in the wider environment as well. The, we talk about something called the walk of shame, which is when you leave early to pick up the kids from school. And it's, it just is more acceptable for mothers to do that. Fathers are teased more uh, when, when they you know, take on that, that task. And it, I think it's harder for fathers to get the support that they need at work for the reasons that you were saying earlier about, you know, first of all, not saying what they need, Mm. maybe not even being aware of what they need, but certainly not sharing it or feeling that, you know, it takes away from the image that they're trying to project at work. Um, But what advice would you have for employers then on how to support dads to, to parent better and to work better? Yeah. Uh, well, it's a tough one, this, and, like, you know, it is all changing with the, um, I mean, that's your brilliant observation about uh, it's more about how responsive you are nowadays rather than being in the office all the time. Um, and actually, I think that's something that we as working parents need to watch out for and and try and call out a bit because, um, depending on when you're listening to this, I mean, we're, we're heading into a second lockdown, but it's likely this thing's going to be with us for a while. And you can see a kind of two-tier work um force kind of happening you know with those that can be in the office build the relationships they're there for all the decisions etc and there's those at home who aren't and Mm -hmm. and and you can see a kind of um yeah Yeah, them and us mentality is yeah you know and who's going to get ahead the person who just um i like that person i see them all the time they're really nice you know they're, they're they're really good like rather than the person who I get through the screen, who I, yeah, like good, but I don't, 
have that same connection and, and sort of um, familiarity, favorability kind of thing going on. Anyway, sorry, wondering off track. Um, no, but, but I, I don't think that is off track. I think that's so important because when the pandemic first happened, we saw such drastic change. You know, if you'd said to me in the beginning of 2020, that we would have a situation where every parent has a choice about where, you know, well, they don't have a choice, but that, that, that where every parent can work from home and take their kids to school if they have school, put them to bed, do bath time, work their day around that. I would have just said, you know, what, what planet are you on? I can't imagine this happening. So we were incredibly hopeful. But what we're thinking is the direction that this is going is that you will have those that want to be in the office are seen at the water cooler, you know, you can just see, see where they are and go over and have a chat with them. Those working from home, there being a perception that those that are working from home are less committed, they're far less visible. So how do you, and we do this through coaching, how do you create visibility and how do you measure performance, not on presenteeism, um, how do you give autonomy and how do you trust and how do you measure performance in a way that is focused on much more on outcome? Um, so it, it is really pertinent to, to where we are now because it could become a two-tiered system and we talk about parents will have more choice, but actually will they? Because if they choose to stay and work from home, they may have a right to do that. It may be easier to get that permission to do that, but really do they have a choice? Because if it's going to impact on their career progression and, and how they're seen and how they're known, maybe they don't have a choice after all. Mm, yeah, yeah, uh, I hadn't thought of it like that and removing the choice. Well, um, but yeah. so what can an employer do, right? Well, they've yes. once you realise this, then you go, well, okay, we as a, an employer, we 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 own and have created the system of work that all these people operate in. It's our duty, therefore, to adjust that system of work to account for this um, new scenario or new environment that we find ourselves in. So, how do you change the performance pay review, all that kind of system? personal development, et cetera, so that it doesn't bias. It removes the kind of possibility of bias through as, as a result of visibility and being in the office. Um, mm -hmm. So there's that side of it, like changing the system and that, and you know, the, the things you were talking about around autonomy, et cetera, you know, those, again, the, the evidence is there that that stuff is what makes great workplaces and makes people more productive. Um, you know, trust, psychological safety in a team, all of these things. Um, so, I mean, it's a bit frustrating that employers still haven't managed to kind of build that stuff into the system of their work as effectively, but this is yet another reason why they need to create, adjust the system so that they can create teams and, and businesses, organisations that ultimately do have more trust, accountability, responsibility, autonomy in. Um, and find ways to measure output and impact and what productivity and impact rather than input. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so, so there's those sorts of structurally stuff. I, I'm not an expert on how you go about um, designing those systems to mm -hmm. do all that stuff. But, um, the, but when you know where you're going, you can, you, you know, you, you can work out how, how to get there. Um, the other thing that I think employers, well, it, perhaps it's not employers. So, because, an employer, really, when you boil it down, like there's the legal entity of the company, which doesn't is just a, an abstract construct con, uh, concept. It, it really, and it, the employer are the people who make decisions that govern the, um, you know, the, the workplace and what happens within it, right? So it's a bunch of people. So then the emphasis you can start to then think about. Well, the emphasis then is on how, what do these people, what kind of decisions do they make, how do they behave, and you know, people listening to this may be some of those lucky people who are, or 
lucky uh you know those people who have worked hard and are talented and have got the responsibilities that allow them to shape the system and if that's you then you're the employer in this situation it's your responsibility to make this happen it's not someone else's it's not hr's or the chief execs it's everyone you know because it going back to that thing the walk of shame piece i've spoken to so many dads about that pre all this stuff pre all covid and it it starts off as a bit of banter and it's a bit of fun but then it slowly becomes a kind of death by a thousand cuts mm-hmm. relentless kind of jibing and jabbing and effectively you know the the um the, the persistence of it turns it into a form of bullying i would argue um mm-hmm. not that that's what's meant these people are, no. who do it are just trying to have a bit of a laugh interestingly when you dig into humor you often find that humor is used to mask concepts that we're uncomfortable with or we thought we haven't quite got our head around which is why little kids will laugh at swear words and poo and willy and all these kind of they'll laugh at those things because they're a bit uncomfortable they haven't worked out mm-hmm. what to do with it and they don't mm-hmm. you know they don't get it um so there is i think the banter does point to a sense of people still don't quite get it who aren't working parents um if you're one of these people in a position of responsibility you're not actually I think it's up to us to have the conversations. So, you know, if, I don't know, if, if none of this was happening and the, the walk of shame was still happening, you know, none of COVID was happening, we're all in the office, the walk of shame was still happening, then if you're a, a parent who's sat there, who's not going home for whatever reason, um, older kids, you, you know, maybe you're, it's not your day or whatever, um, just to take one or two of the people, one, you know, one or two of the people aside and just go, do you know what? that's might really start to get whoever it is down um you know probably maybe not do that or like have that kind of conversation right um the other flip side of it is now as we are living through screens is to actually have the conversations and hold other parents to account so let's help each other out right you know schools are going back in a week or so okay so i know the parents that i work with and I make it a point to say, oh, you've got everything set up for school. You know, mm-hmm. first day is when, okay, great. Then I know to go, you know, do, do you need to like, try not to book meetings in at like five o'clock or whatever, or 4.30, because they're all, all before then, because I know that their kid is at school, first day they're gonna come back. It's better for them if they're present as parents. Mm-hmm. And actually, if we don't hold each other to account for our parental responsibilities, then we all just end up prioritizing work responsibilities over our family. So mm-hmm. again, rambling, what can, again, what can I say? Uh, no, I, I don't think that's rambling at all. I think that that is really profound because you can have all the policies in the world and you can have senior leaders in the business saying it's okay for all of this, but on the ground is what happen, it's what's happening in your teams. And the line manager actually is the biggest enabler and the biggest barrier to a successful uh, working experience for a parent. So to be able to call those things out and talk about it, and it's two way as well. It's not just that um, you've got, you know, for the example you were giving of, of you asking, you know, have they got themselves set up? But it's the other way of taking responsibility and saying, this is my situation this week and having the confidence to have those conversations and educate other people about it and others in the team about it so that they're, they, they understand what's going on. They know you're going to make up the time if you aren't on the 8.30 call because that happens to be the school run or whatever. 
Um, but it's got to it's got to be a two way communication, and it, and it maybe it's starting at the bottom rather than the top because it, it's it's culture ultimately. Yeah, you know, someone's got to go first. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> you know, nothing's going to change unless some you know nothing's going to start unless someone chooses to start it and actually follows through with that choice. Um, and yes, yes, it needs to start from the top. And uh, I mean, one of the difficulties with all this is that there's a lot of rhetoric. Uh, from senior folk in business um, and it's actions do speak louder than words mm -hmm. constantly so you know they can say it till they're blue in the face but until the actions in the business change and they make those things happen then nothing's going to change and actually it's I don't know so I, I, I always look at uh, some of the policies and actually the harder stuff when I'm doing research on a company or whatever and trying to understand like the, how good are they at this thing um, uh, you know they, they might talk a really good game on kind of uh, inclusion um, supporting working parents etc or mm -hmm. actually you know um, gender equality and reducing the gender pay gap and everything but if you flip it around and look at the policies then you see what really matters and you see how really committed they are um, and it's it's still sad to see so few businesses push for equal parental leave because it's not difficult and it doesn't take very long to kind of have a little think or do a bit of research and work out that the gender pay gap kind of starts from when you know mums dads become parents that's mm -hmm. a yep, big that's the cause of it yep. and if you don't change things there then nothing, you know, a few things are going to happen. So you can celebrate the kind of the policies you've got in place for, for the working mums. But if you're not giving those to dads, you can't, you can't say we're a champion of equality or trying to champion equality because it's yep. such a bloody no brainer of, you know, and oh, the other flip side of it is just working. You know, if you say we're supporting working parents um, and working mothers, then actually you need to give the extra time and support to working fathers so that they can do more of the childcare, right? Childcare is a zero sum game. It just, it needs to be done. And there are so many hours in the day and someone's got to do it. Um, sorry, it gets me really frustrated. Kind of, <laughs> the amount of talk about this stuff, but just the basic like lack of thought and logic that goes into it of just, well, if we really are committed, then obviously what we have to do is provide equal support for both men and women in our workplace so that they, the men can provide more support for the, you know, the women in their lives. And, you know, we're, we're doing what we can for the, for the women in our company. I have had a, a rather disappointing discussion with a senior person at a very large organisation. He said, yeah, we had that discussion. And basically we realised that actually the wives of the dads, most of them don't work for us. So it'd be mm. a nice thing to do, but actually, you know, it, 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 it didn't impact the bottom line. Um, and we didn't want that. And it's like, Okay, At least well, he was honest. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's your true colours right there. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's, uh, you know, we're always talking about you. That we, we will get uh, gender pay equality when the, everything else is equal. Um, but, but going back to what you were saying about um, giving fathers the same you know, parental leave rights, for example, it then still ties into what you were saying earlier about them not necessarily taking those because it's unacceptable. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's, it's career considered, you know, bad for the career or the image or some other things. So you, so you need to tackle both of those things 
um, concurrently. Right, I've got one more. Uh, okay. <laughs> and that kind of comes down to like, it, it's, it's what, what do you as an individual choose to do? Because, um, you know, the, the idea that you can have it all is, is quite a dangerous one um, to play with and to follow. Um, and because there's so much pressure, it puts so much pressure on you that actually, you know, what it, and our children are only little ones, right? I think one of the most amazing realizations I've had uh, with having kids is that actually now I can kind of, I've sort of got, I wouldn't call it a plan, but I can certainly see into the future a lot more than I could previously, you know, all going well. Uh, my kids are gonna grow up and be 13 and 15 and 16 and 17 and 28 and you know have grandkids and all. so I can see these milestones now of like okay. oh okay these things are going to happen in life that's going to be really cool and okay you know I, I don't want to miss that moment I want to make sure that we're kind of we're around and that, I don't know whether they're in a different country or whatever we'll travel so you can start to see these things and it forces you to actually then make a choice with how you want to spend the time now and this is going to sound perhaps a bit daft on the working parent podcast, but you might want to not go quite so hard at work for a little bit because you might want to spend more time with your children in order to build a really good relationship on the, on the premise that, you know, as they get a bit older, so my kids are now nine, 11, um, you know, they, they can be pretty self-sufficient. So actually, mm -hmm. and they sleep through the night mostly and all that stuff. So suddenly it's like, Oh, I've got more time to do what I want to do a bit more now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Not a huge amount, but a bit more and a bit more headspace. So now actually I can start to think about turning up the dial and work again a bit more. So yeah. I think, you know, we do need to look at ourselves and think, what do we actually really want? What really matters? And decide, you know, because we one way of looking at the, you know, we're lucky in that we don't have jobs for life anymore, which means we can, adjust and change and drive it which way we want to you know how we want to do it um so yeah did that make sense yep yep that absolutely makes sense uh so i completely agree with that and thinking about um your career in the long term and and where you might want to put on the brakes for a bit and but but not close any doors so walking away isn't necessarily the solution but working out you know where are some paths that i can go off to the side for a bit but knowing I can get back onto the main path again and hopefully catch up at that point mm. so. yeah exactly I think you know uh, what well, I hope that the the kind of companies that see things as a sort of you know you need to be at this sort of level by this sort of age otherwise you're a bit past it uh, I hope people will start to walk away from that now I'm going to um, finish with my final question, which we ask all of our guests. We haven't actually talked very much about COVID on this podcast, which might suggest that it's becoming too normalised because normally it, it's everywhere. Um, but my question is, what is it that you are hoping for in a post-COVID world? I hope we get there. <laughs> <laughs> started, started out when March, April, May time going, oh, this will be, you know, yes, we'll have a lockdown and then we'll get it under control. And I'm sure a vaccine will come along at some point. Now I'm <laughs> less hopeful. Uh, you know, this might be this might be a fact of life for a while. Um, yeah, I hope that we learn through this period of time that we can trust each other a lot more in terms of the people that we work with uh, and we, we are able to... Um, either maintain or, or, or grow a bit of the kind of 
the humanity that I've experienced through this period with people that I work with, even if it is a, um, you know, a kind of supplier relationship or a, um, uh, colleagues or or just you know other people out there in the world and you're interacting with them um you know there's uh, I see there's been a yeah kind of a really good rise in a sort of sense of how oh, we're all in this together it's a bit shit it's a bit hard we'll cut each other a bit of slack we'll ask how people are doing and we'll 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 um adapt our own requests and demands for work around that um I mean I hope I've not been fortunate in experiencing that um, I, I think um, I, I really love what you're saying because that is something that we're seeing as well we've called it the humanizing of the workforce when you've seen you know somebody's bed behind them in the room or the puppy on the lap or the baby crying or the child you know sort of t- tapping them on the shoulder you you see the whole person in a way that you don't when you're in an office environment and you know my my hope for a post-covid world is that that continues I I truly hope that we don't forget that and we remember the person as well as the um the colleague or the the employee yeah yeah 100 percent. and i and i i guess my last hope is that i hope we use this as an opportunity to change some of the structural things that have been broken for a long time that everyone's known about and we've sort of you know chipped away at a little bit to try and improve things like you know mental health in the workplace like gender equality etc um like the kind of challenging the notion that work has to be done between nine and five or six or whenever your kind of the mm-hmm. core hours are um you know hope we can kind of i guess just mature and grow up a bit as a uh, as a as a bunch of people who have to wear different hats and shouldn't necessarily um i don't know adapt our levels of maturity to match the roles that we think we should be playing as it were um yeah, that's what I hope. That's if I could give it to you, I would. <laughs> David, thank you so much for joining me today on the Working Parent Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you, and um, I, I'm just very grateful for your time. Thank you. Thank you.